Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, good to see everybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. You are a wonderful God and your, your word is wonderful. So we pray that you would help us, Lord, as we open your word and seek to learn from you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 38, okay, chapter 38, verse 1. Okay, here we go. You ready? And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And yet she, yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah, and he was at Hezib, which bare him. Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, his name was Tamar, and Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, go now to thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Onan knew that the seed should not be his, and it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilt it on the ground lest he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also, and his brethren did, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his shears in Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Dolomite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her, covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot, because she had covered her face. And he went unto her, by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto thee? And he said, I'll give thee, I'll send thee a kid from the flock. She said, What wilt thou, wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? He said, What pledge shall I give thee? She said, Thy signet, and thy bracelets, and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her, and he came in unto her, and she conceived by him. Wow, what a chapter. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Okay, all right, here we go. Now, in our last study, we saw how Judah, he had separated himself from his brothers, remember, in verse 1, and then he began to intermingle with the Canaanites. I mean, he went into these people, you know, and then he saw in verse 1 how his first mode of intermingling with this Canaanite was with his close friendship that he developed with this man named Hira. And we saw in verse 2 
that he further went into intermingle with Canaanites in a sexual relationship with this woman who we don't even know her name. But it talks about when we see him doing this, we see him with his need. And the need that's referred to in Hebrews 12.1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Each one of us has a besetting sin. And the devil's like a tailor. You walk into his shop and he'll say, I've got just the coat for you, and he'll cut it to your size. And in the besetting, and we all have these besetting sins that we so easily fall into. It's a sin that, that we, we're prone to. In this particular case, it's not the same for each of us. You know, some of it's pride. In his case, it's sexual passions. And this is Judah's downfall here. And that's the downfall of so many today. And we saw in this verse 3 how that intermingled relationship with this Canaanite woman resulted in three sons. Now he's got half Canaanite sons. And an Ur in verse 3, and then there's Onan in verse 4, and then Shelah in verse 5. We can only imagine how as Judah is going down his path of his new life, separated from his family, separated from Jacob, separated from the God of Jacob, how he's not raising his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's a responsibility that he has. That's a responsibility which Moses gave in the great Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, it was very, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then he says, You personally, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your might. And then after you personally, he says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and then he said, they sh- you, you're going to teach them. You teach them. And he didn't say, just, te- just teach your children. He said, teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. See, that's the Shema. That's the Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. So God told the fathers, after their own souls, their first responsibility is to make sure that, of course, that they love the Lord with all their heart, their mind, their soul, their might. But then, right away after that, teach your children. Teach and talk. Teach and talk. That's what he was telling them there, Moses. Their teaching was to be diligent, which you know what that applies when you teach diligently? It applies like maybe you have a lesson plan. Maybe you have a teaching plan. Maybe you have a schedule of what you want to make sure that your children know, and you make sure they know that. I wonder if fathers today in Christian homes, if they really take time to make a list of what they must teach their children by what date, and then take time to make sure that they meet that deadline. You know, too often the way it is, it's like, oh, well, the Christian school is going to teach my my kids, or the church will teach my kids. But God calls the fathers to teach their children diligently. In other words, the same diligence that fathers put into their jobs, teach your children. And then the fathers are to show the children that this is real. This isn't just religion. This is reality. And he said, and you do that by talking, talking in Deuteronomy 6, 7. Talk, talk when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you walk away, when you get up. Let God be the, converse, the topic of the conversation all times. God, 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 all the time God, and then God more. See? So Judah, just forget about it with him. He's so far away from God, from his family. He's intermingling with these Canaanites. And, and we can be sure he doesn't have God on his mind. Well, it looks like Judah married rashly, to put it you know, understatement, 
without giving any thought as to who she is. That's purposeful we're not given his na- her name because as far as Judas can, it doesn't matter. But he's intermingling with the Canaanites here. And we see him rashly choosing this wife based on uh, you know sexual passion. Then we see him in verse 6, for whatever reason, rashly choosing a wife for his firstborn Ur. We don't know why he took this strong interest in his sons, you know, choosing women for them to marry. We don't know why he does that. But it says that in verse 6, and Judah took a wife for Ur. His firstborn, his name was Tamar. Tamar means palm tree, palm. Now, we read what happened in verse 7. We're given the information that we're given. Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. We don't know what he did. We don't know what the wickedness was. God says, you don't need to know. But there's some interesting things about verse 7. First, it doesn't just say Er was wicked. It doesn't say that. It makes it clear he was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And, you know, that, that's a very important addition there. I mean, it kind of jumps out at us, you know. In the sight of the Lord tells us that the criteria for what was wicked was set by the Lord, not by man. Maybe someone would say, well, you know, I don't see what's wrong with that. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people who do that. You know, I wouldn't call that wicked. You know, it's just another way to live. I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that. Why do you call it wicked? The message that's being sent in verse 7, wicked in the sight of the Lord, is that it doesn't matter what man thinks, if he calls it wicked or not. All that matters is what God sees. It's wicked. So here he sees that Ur is doing something wicked, and it's in the sight of the Lord. And so we're told about his wickedness, that what happened in the last part of verse 7 is, and the Lord slew him. Now, we don't know what his particular wickedness was, and we don't know how he died, and all we're told is that he was just wicked in the sight of the Lord. We told him that the Lord slew him. Maybe he had an accident. We don't know. Maybe he got a disease, a health condition. Who knows? But what's clear, and what was clear to everyone, was that the Lord slew him, which shows us the truth of Galatians 6-7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall he also reap, same kind. If a person lives a wicked life, then some wickedness is going to come back to him. What kind of wickedness? Job said, Job 4.8, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Reap the same. That's Job 4.8. Job 4.8, in other words, you saw that that whatever a person does, the same sin comes back on him. Well, the point is, is that whatever Aaron was doing here, he didn't get away with it, and God cut his life short. Now, we see, again, Judah steps in on his son's lives, and he commands Onan, second board, to go ahead and marry Er's widow. Now, whatever Er had by way of possessions, you know, would go on to his seed. So his name would be continued. His name would be propagated. But if he didn't have any children, then it would be absorbed by the family. Onan also would benefit. So the whole idea here is to build families in Israel, to build family names. And if a husband dies with no children, then his brother was expected to marry his widow and to have children, and those children would be counted as if they were the deceased husbands, 
And then, then that would be for inheritance purposes. Well, this is what Judah had in mind when he told Onan to go ahead and marry Tamar. When he said in, in verse 8, Judah said unto Onan, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Now, what's so great about the word of God is that it not only reports what everyone saw, but it reports what no one else saw, like what Onan was thinking in his mind when his father told him to marry his deceased brother. And this gives us an insight what the final judgment is going to be like. There's going to be a review, not only what was done, not only what people saw, but what people thought. And that's what the Lord Jesus was saying when he was giving that that insight. Also, in Matthew 5.28, when he said, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. So who knows if a man is looking on a woman to lust after her? God does. And God will judge based on looks and thoughts. And here in verse 9, we see Onan is thinking. He's thinking, verse 9. Onan knew that the seed should not be his. See, that's what he was thinking. It's not going to be mine came to pass when he went into her, he spilt it on the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. So Onan knew the seed's not going to be his, which shows that Onan was selfish, and he didn't want to serve anyone else beyond himself. He it was total opposite of Philippians 2.4, which says, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Or 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. All Onan cared about was himself. And he didn't want to father any children that would not be counted as his, especially if it meant some inheritance that he potentially was not going to get. He's only interested in his own glory. He's only interested in his own possessions. He's only interested in his own fame. Now, he may have been thinking, and he probably was, that, that if there's no children, then, you know, this is going to come to me. That's, that's selfishness. Okay, so he appears to be fulfilling the obligation of fathering children in his deceased brother's name, but actually he doesn't. And so he has this plan to appear as though he's going to father the children, but he had a plan really to not father the children. And we could see this plan, you know, he was thinking to himself, this is foolproof. No one's going to see what I'm going to do. You know, no one's going to know. This is perfect. I've got this one nailed. And it's just one problem. And this is really the common problem with the plans, all these types of foolproof plans. The problem is God sees it. And God did see what Onan did. And something very, very, you know, secret, intimate, whatever you want to call it, is exposed for us to be reading about it right now. He thought he had it all sewed up. He thought he had a secret sin. But there are no such things as secret sins because God sees them all. And God saw Onan's sin. So, when it says here that Onan spilt it on the ground, it's a very interesting word. It's not the word spilt. Well, you, I guess you could call it spilt. But really, it's in the Hebrew, it's a very important word made up of three letters like they all are. Shakat. Shakat is related to the word shoket. Shoket, which is what my grandfather was. He was, you know, <laughs> it was the person who slaughters animals, you know. <laughs> okay, you know. Ceremonial slaughter, okay. But shakat means to destroy. That's what it means, to destroy. 
just like, you know, my grandfather killed all those chickens, those chickens' lives were destroyed by this quick action of the knife, you know, that means to destroy. Dorothy Greenstein, she, her father was also a shokut, and she talked about the little box they had in Poland with the very sharp knives, you know, the quick action, destruction. So the word that's used, that's translated spilt, it means destroyed. Onan destroyed his seed on the ground. It's interesting. It's interesting. Why? Because this is a sexual sin, clearly. And the Hebrew word that's used in the context of describing the sexual sin is to destroy. Destruction is a really good word to be associated with sexual sins. Why? Because sexual sins destroy. They destroy by self-pollution. They destroy a person's purity, a person's innocence. The sexual sins destroyed Onan's ability to generate, make more children. And many of the sexually transmitted diseases, the so-called STD of today, they result in sterilization of the person that they can't have children. Sexual sins destroy a person from within because they damage, they destroy the image of God, which is pure and holy. Sexual sins destroy a person's dignity by destroying him or bringing him down to the level of animals. Sexual sins destroy a person by desecrating his or her body as the temples of God. It was all in the context of sexual sins that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.15, 1 Corinthians 6.15. Know you not that your bodies are the, temp- are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one flesh? For two say, saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That's self-destruction. What? Know you not the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Sexual sins destroy a person. And maybe the worst destruction of all the sexual sin. They destroy a person's sensitivity to God. How do you know that? Because of Lamentations 3.51. Lamentations 3.51. Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. What is being said there is when his eye was lusting after the daughters of the city, his heart was affected. That's the serious part. In other words, he has no more interest in God. Now, This is what it says in Hosea 4.12. Hosea 4.12. The spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err, and they have gone a-whoring from under their God. You know, so many are caught. What's the spirit of whoredoms? What's another word for it? Pornography. That's the spirit of whoredoms. Pornography. And it causes a person to err or go away from God. Hosea 5.4. Hosea 5.4. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. The spirit of whoredoms, the spirit of pornography, causes a person to not frame his doings, to not turn to God. It causes them to say, it's no sin. I'm not going to confess as sin to God, nor so I can turn to God. Hosea 4.11, Hosea 4.11, whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. 
It just there it goes. Pornography, you just say goodbye to the heart. No interest in God. These are the reasons why shakat, destruction, is a perfect description to be associated with sexual sin here. So Odin thinks, okay, well, what he's done in nighttime is not seen by God, but, but it was. And so the response to God in verse 10, the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Again, just like Ur, what Onan did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew verse literally reads, it says displeased, but in the Hebrew, it says it was bad, ra'ah, evil, in ayin, in God's eye. It was bad in God's eye. So again, it's emphasizing this fact that God's watching. We would have thought that after Onan saw that Ur was killed by God because he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, that maybe that would cause Onan to fear a little bit, might have feared this, but no, no, it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Why? First Timothy 4.2, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Ephesians 4.19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness. See, it's interesting that for most people, when they hear the word sin, you know what first comes to their mind? Sexual sins. Sexual sins. It's because the devil, the devil here, he works so much in this area to get people's heart hardened toward God. And we see that this judgment that God has of sexual sins in Romans 127, Romans 127, where God says, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the, that recompense of their heir, which was meat. And again, just like God judged Ur in verse 7, he judges Onan, wherefore he slew him also. He slew him also. You know, what's amazing here is how Judah, at this point, doesn't break down and say, oh, I've been a rebel against God. I want to be a follower of God. But he, he, just, he doesn't really do that. So that's that. Okay. Now Judah then, he rises up, takes control, and orders Tamar, you remain a widow and go back to your father's house. That was the custom in those days. So Judah sends her home to her father's house and really binds her to not marry again, but because he makes this promise to her in verse 11. Judah said to Tabar's daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till she live my son be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah promises Tamar. Soon as he grows up, Sheila, I'm going to give you to him. You'll be married. Now, really to see the situation properly, we have to look at it from two individuals' point of views. We got to look at this from Tamar's point of view, and then we got to look at this from Judah's point of view. I mean, Sheila, he's too young to care. <laughs> okay, so, all right. So first of all, how does Tamar see this situation? Well, in the first place, she was taken by Judah and given to his son, her husband, Ur, okay? And then she saw that Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed her husband. Uh, 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.